right, guys, we're going to hop right on in here. As I uh, stated, we're going to be talking about the Armed Forces Entertainment Tour I did back in uh, 2009. Um, as I said in the previous episode, I wasn't going by my full name anymore, Scott Joseph Ferris. I was going by a band name that I created for my solo acoustic act called City Like Drive. And uh, that was what we toured as on that tour. And um, at the time, I remember meeting uh, to go over all the paperwork for this tour and the contract for it with Armed Forces Entertainment, uh, which was facilitated by uh, Todd, my manager at the time, with Galgo Music Group. And uh, we also had some connections that helped, I think, push us along the way uh, with a, a division of MTV uh, called MTVU, for it stands for University, was what the acronym was for. And uh, they did a lot of programs, uh, put on a lot of like events and stuff for different universities. Uh, they were actually the ones that helped me uh, get a couple of my shows on some of my tours. Uh, the most notable one that I had a blast at was... Uh, in College Station, Texas. Uh, <laughs> still remember that radio interview like yesterday. The uh, It was the College Station in College Station, Texas. <laughs> it cracked me up. But um, when I met Todd uh, to do, go over this contract, it was at a kind of the midway point between uh, his, where he lived near St. Louis and where I was living at the time in Whitehall, my hometown. Uh, we met at a uh, restaurant outside of Jerseyville, Illinois, that's still there, but I don't think it's called the same thing anymore. It was called a uh, Hickory Grove Restaurant. And uh, so we went, long story short, we went over the contract there uh, at the Hickory Grove Restaurant. I signed the deal, and uh, I had to get together a band to play with me. So uh, we later had a meeting with the guys that I had picked for my band which was my dad on drums because I'd played with him and he's excellent my uncle on guitar and a guy named Jonathan Coates on bass and Jonathan Coates is actually the guy that gave me my first guitar lessons ever so it's kind of pretty cool to uh, play with him you know after he pretty much taught me in the beginning and then I also took lessons from his his cousin Kenny Coates um, I don't know what he's doing now. He's always on tour with somebody. He's a guitar tech, I think, for uh, Sugarland right now, or Brad Paisley. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so it's cool to have uh, the guy that gave me my first guitar lessons, Jonathan Coates, uh, playing in a band with us. And uh, so after we had our, uh, then we had a later meeting at Hickory Grove again with them guys and my manager Todd to kind of go over some of the details and the passport information. And then fast forward to maybe uh, that was those uh, whenever we met uh, for the contract and to go over the uh, tour information that was about late february 2009 so fast forward to about april um my uncle who's also a professional wood carver and uh written many books and travels all over and stays busy and super talented uh he had some stuff i think come up to where he had to travel to go do some carving classes and couldn't make the tour. So I was like, oh boy. So what are we going to do with this? So I was trying to find a lead guitar player. I asked around a couple places, uh, put it up on MySpace, had some inquiries. Uh, nothing was painting out. And um, so I was supposed to leave uh, in at the end of June. I think it was like June 25th or something like that. And so by this time, it's like, 
mid-May, and uh, we had to turn in our passport information, and uh, my uh, dad at the time, uh, I don't believe, there was some issue with his passport or something to where he wasn't able to get it, it wasn't going to be back in time or something like that. So, long story short, here I am, I'm down to me and uh, Jonathan Coates, the guy that got me uh, giving my first guitar lessons, we're the only two band members I have for this thing, and it is a month before the thing starts. So, in desperation, I reach out to my manager, Todd, and I'm like, shot him an email, I'm like, hey brother, this is what's going on, I don't have a drum player or a lead guitar player, and he's like, I can get you a lead guitar player. Another band that he managed, uh, I forget what their name was, but they were really popular in the St. Louis area and Missouri market, that whole region. Uh, hooked us up with this guy, Matt Kleinman, and he was fantastic. Um, I, I got in touch with him over MySpace and then on the emails, and I shot him over the set list. And uh, he pretty much just learned the whole thing uh, within the first couple weeks. Well, we had a, a month time frame whenever I got hooked up with Matt. So after a week later, Matt emailed me back. He's like, I got the set list down. Just let me know when you guys are ready to get together. And so this time... We're about three weeks before the tour. I don't have a drum player. And I'm at the local Paradise Club, which is like, it's an old VFW building that is now called Paradise Club. It's a bar uh, in my hometown. And I see uh, this guy, Steve Vincent, that uh, is my third cousin, I believe. His uh, dad and my grandpa are first cousins, so... Whatever that works, third or fourth, however that is. But anyways, I see Steve, and I know that he, he's played music forever, and I actually had one of his CDs, and a super talented guy, plays multiple instruments. And uh, I was telling him, I was, I was talking about music, and I was kind of telling him about what I was uh, going through trying to find a drum player, and he goes, I play drums. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm, that's great, but I mean, we're leaving in like three weeks. Um... He's like, I can, he's like, he, he's like, I'll do it if you want me to. I was like, all right, man. <laughs> Cause I was striking out everywhere I asked. Uh, a lot of the uh, people that uh, inquired about it didn't have a current passport. Steve did have a passport. So uh, we uh, had like three practices, I think. And then we're on, we're heading uh, to leave for, um, Tegucigalpa, Honduras was the first stop. We also had Ecuador and Costa Rica on there as well before Bogota, Colombia. But those two dates got cut off. I don't remember what happened with the Ecuador and Costa Rica dates, like why uh, we ended up not doing those, and those got removed from our itinerary. But um, trying to think here. So whenever we uh, – yes, this was very interesting because I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan, one of the greatest entertainers in the world, and – in June of 2009 was when I already passed away, and we were in the airport. I forget which city. It was either St. Louis or Miami when I uh, saw it announced on the news early in the morning. And so I was pretty wild. And then also another thing that was going on that was pretty crazy, which the uh, Armed Forces Entertainment, United States government, assured us uh, that we would be safe and everything would be all right. Uh, if you Google... Uh, like June 2009, Honduras, Tegucigalpa, Honduras, uh, coup. Uh, basically, the uh, people of Honduras overthrew their government 
and uh, that was right before a couple days before we uh, went down there. So we hop on the plane, uh, cruise over uh, St. Louis, Miami to Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And I tell you what, if you guys have uh, never uh, watched, like, uh, check it out on like, YouTube, like the Tegucigalpa, Honduras uh, landing strip, it is one of the most terrifying plane landings I've ever been a part of. And it's not because there was a bad pilot. The pilots were fantastic and got us there safely. Um, but it's just... Uh, it's a lot different than most of the uh, landing spots that you see, uh, landing strips. So check that out too, Tegucigalpa, Honduras, airport landing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a sight to see, and it was crazy to be a part of. <laughs> Glad we made it out. But as soon as we uh, arrived there in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, like I said, the, uh, it was a very... Uh, tumultuous time there in uh, Tegucigalpa with the uh, citizens of Honduras overthrowing its government. So literally, whenever we got off the plane in Honduras and Tegucigalpa, we walked off the plane and everybody else that was on the plane with us got led off into a line to the right and they took us four guys in the band and we went forward to the baggage claim and we were the only, I don't know where they took these other people to, but we were the only four people around the baggage claim and surrounding us, like in the big baggage claim area was, I don't know, maybe 30 uh, military, a mixture of like uh, U.S. military and Honduran military uh I'm, I'm assuming it was they were from their army division, just by based on their, what their uh, what they were wearing. But yeah, they uh, were surrounding us. They, then they had like their guns out and hey, just hey, just holding on to them. It, it didn't seem it wasn't a stressful time. I mean, they were just it, it seemed just more like a, an extra security precaution uh, since we were. I, I don't know. It, it just it felt it was just surreal. Um, so anyways, we got our luggage and all these men escorted us out. We had two, uh, agents with us, uh, or no, three. One was, he was from the U S the other two were, uh, Honduran officials, all three super fantastic guys and kind of walked us through the whole process of like, they just walked us out this door after we got our baggage claim and we, they loaded all of our stuff into these two like white vans and we were off and going i mean from the baggage claim to getting into the vans and on the road was literally maybe five to ten minutes so they hustled us off there and uh we're cruising up through all the hills and all sorts of stuff and tegucigalpa to get to the soto cano air base and uh Driving there was, uh, or riding there and seeing how the people drive was really uh, a culture shock for me because, like, they use the turn signals to pass each other. Like, if I'm behind you and I'm going to pass you, I'm gonna, on the left, I'm going to put my turn signal on the left side and pass you. And they just fly. Not really uh, a lot of speed limits there either. <laughs> so, uh, basically, we get to the Soto Cano Air Base, which is basically, like, in a jungle-like area, which was super cool. And uh, we get there on the airbase, and they take us uh, directly to where we're uh, staying at there on the base. And the base was super secure. 
it was a mixture of uh, U.S. Uh, Air Force and Army and uh, Honduran Army and Air Force. Um, so we get to this uh, where we're staying at. We're staying all we're all staying together in this one building. It was called Hooch, and basically it was like a big living room combined with a big kitchen, and then offshooting there was on each side there was three bedrooms on each side so we each had our own little bedroom and uh, basically it was like a big wood cabin basically and um, it was really neat there too I'd never really like experienced weather like they had there like it would you, you could be outside and it would rain for one minute just downpour then boom the sun would come out and it didn't even look like it even rained because the sun and the heat would just evaporate all the water but they didn't have bathrooms in the hooch. They were uh, bathrooms and showers were a little bit down the road, walking distance. Um, and they had a there was different like bars and things there on the base. Um, we didn't get to leave the base. We were scheduled to do some different uh, walking tours to go out into the city. But with all the stuff happening with the coup and the people overthrowing the government, that uh, they wanted to keep us safe there on the base. And uh, so anyways, uh, they took us to the bar that we were going to be playing at. They had already had the uh, sound system and everything already set. We just had to run and do sound check really quick. And then the next morning, uh, we went to uh, the, the local uh, Soto Cano Air Base radio station and did an interview. And uh, I remember uh, the guy asking me, was talking about uh, favorite sports teams on the air. And I said that, I actually have two favorite football teams. And he's like, who are they? He's like, you're from Illinois. So the Bears and at the time, the Rams, they were in St. Louis. No longer. They're in L.A. Um, I said, no, actually, uh, the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. He goes, he just couldn't believe it. He's like, but they're so far away from it. I'm like, I don't know, man. It's just what happened. You know, when Dante, I got hooked on Dante Culpepper and Randy Moss and Chris Carter up there with the Vikings and uh, everything that... uh, Aaron, uh, oh my goodness, Aaron Brooks. He was a former uh, quarterback for the Oakland Raiders at the time. And then he got shipped over to the Saints and did some magnificent work there. And then I was just hooked on Breeze. And yeah, so I loved the Saints and the Vikings. Still do. Still my two favorite teams. And uh, whenever they play each other, I don't know who to root for. Uh, I usually find myself, I, it, every, every game's a little bit different. <laughs> And uh, so anyways, we did that. And then we, uh, the radio tour, I remember the breakfast, like the food there was all pretty good. And, uh, cause we got to eat there on the military base and man, I tell you, it was just a smorgasbord there. Just everything you could think of was there. So we, uh, yeah, we played the show that night and, uh, before the show, when I remember I was doing sound check, there was a couple, uh, U.S. military representatives there. Um, that were kind of our guides for the day and both of them uh, played guitar and sang so we ended up incorporating a song that they knew into our set and one of them came up played my guitar the other one sang and the rest of the guys backed him up it was pretty cool and then the re- I think we had two nights one or two nights where we uh, could kind of do whatever we wanted um, so one night we went out to this um, Air Force bar each 
each bar was kind of ran by like the army or the air force or i mean they, they just kind of all stayed in their own little groups or well big groups there was a lot of them um but one of the guys he was like yeah he was like i'm gonna be your uh, tour guide tomorrow i'm like what are we doing he's like we're gonna look at some blackhawks i'm like what and uh, so we got to go check out some blackhawks and uh, they are uh, it's such a fantastic thing to see inside and uh, we got to try a military meal, uh, the dry mixture. Actually, wasn't too bad. I had the biscuits and gravy. <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, in a pinch, it would not hurt at all. And I'm sure that they've since upgraded. I mean, that's been nine years ago. Whew, man, doesn't seem like it. And so the next thing, uh, we uh, hung out there a couple nights, and we're off to our flight to Bogota, Colombia. Now that show was like the big one of, of the two shows, three shows that we did. We did two in uh, Tegucigalpa, Honduras at the Soto Cano Air Base, and we did one in uh, Bogota, Colombia. And we uh, got flown in there, and we got set up in the like best suites that they had at this Holiday Inn Express. It, they they were literally still building it while we were there, and our four rooms were literally, I believe, the only four rooms that anybody was staying in uh, at the hotel. I didn't think it was even truly open yet. So, and then uh, we also, uh, we got warned, uh, I wouldn't say warned, we uh, kind of given a briefing on our way to the hotel before we got there um, by the uh, U.S. Uh, ambassador's office, like the security there kind of went over some different details of like be wary of like this white powdery substance uh, sometimes it can basically just knock you out and people get robbed all the time so we were wary of white substances and luckily nobody got uh, hurt or anything <laughs> um it was actually it, it was fantastic the people were great uh, everybody we uh, are a guide for the three or four days that we were there she was a local, uh, she worked for uh, the U.S. Embassy, and she was also uh, an actress on a really popular soap opera there in that area. So it was kind of neat just to visit with her and kind of hear a lot about her experiences. And she took us out to some different restaurants, let us try the local foods. And at nighttime, we were basically on our own. Um, so me and uh, Steve and Matt, uh, we decided to go uh, to... Uh, this local club that I had a band at. It was right across the street from our hotel. And we go over there, and they're they're playing all sorts of music. I mean, everything from, like, reggae to some hip-hop and different things. And Steve got to talking to one of the guys in the band on their break. And uh, this is, like, a big, like, nine-piece band with, like, five singers. It was fantastic. And uh, Steve got to mention, they start talking about music, and they found out that Steve played fiddle. And he's like, dude, he's like, you should bring it in and play with us. And so he, Steve went back to the hotel, got his fiddle, and set up there for a whole set with him. And I believe if you look up on YouTube.com backslash Midwest Avenue, or just type in Midwest Avenue, uh, Bogota, Columbia, you can check out uh, Steve playing the fiddle with this band. I recorded him playing there. It's pretty cool. So then the next day, was the next day? Yeah, the next day we uh, was when we went to, uh, it was on July 3rd, 2009. 
we're we we got we got hired there to we, what we were there for was to play the Fourth of July celebration at the U.S. Embassy. Like the stage was literally right in front of the embassy, and we got to go into the embassy. That was where our dressing room was, and uh, we were the co-headliners of the show with a really huge uh, South American uh, pop act named Fanny Lou F A N N Y L U. Look her up; she's got some good stuff. But uh, she had it going on. I'm gonna tell you, she was fantastic on stage. They had like four other opening acts during the day uh, or early evening there. But I remember going up there and doing sound check and uh, Sony Music was doing all the sound there. And it was uh, my first time on a stage that big. It was and having that type of sound. I mean, it was huge. And there was over 5,000 people. Uh, They invited uh, 5,000 of the local people. Bogota citizens uh, into the embassy and they had different like uh, food and drink food trucks drinks and all sorts of things just all around and uh, they invited 5,000 of the Bogota uh, citizens and then plus like a lot of the embassy officials and workers and their families they were all there celebrating the 4th of July as well so there was 5,000 plus I know I never I don't know what the actual uh, thing was but it was broadcast on local TV which is pretty wild to have all the cameras and stuff around I, I just remember doing sound check and looked out to this huge empty space and just feeling like this is amazing and I, I just really I made it a focus at this time to really just soak it all in because I had gotten so burnt out prior to this trip of touring and just the whole grind, you know, and then, then you know, self-doubt and different things like that started creeping in. Um, I was gaining weight and it was just, it became this, this thing that I didn't know how to control it or just handle it. But I made it a mission that I would deal with that after I got home, but I was going to enjoy this trip because things like this don't always happen all the time. So I wanted to soak it in. So I just remember standing up there on the stage in front of that empty lot out there in front of the U.S. Embassy in Bogota, Colombia, and being like, I'm in freaking South America and have gotten to meet all these amazing people. And, I've, and I'm so fortunate that I get to entertain these people tonight. It's like I'm like super just like just Florida in gratitude, basically, just like just so grateful for the situation. So we... uh did our sound check, headed off the stage, uh, back into the embassy, did some local press uh, regarding the inf- the uh, show. Then it was about showtime. And I remember, like, in all my uh, anticipation for this and excitement, uh, I, I, I could not remember any of my schooling for some reason. So I asked the lady that was our uh, guide there, and I was like, hey... How do I say uh, good evening in uh, Spanish? She's like, buenos, she's like, buenos noches. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I remember we did a lot of it. We did like, I think in that 45 minutes that we did like six original, six covers, something like that. Uh, but the first song I remember like it was yesterday. I still remember being right there. Uh, we opened up with uh, one of my favorite covers to play of all time, which was Only Want to Be With You by Hootie and the Blowfish. And 
I just remember going up there. We had a little intro for it where the music would stop. And then as soon as the music stopped, I just remember going, Buenos noches, Bogota. And then it was just like, you would have thought like, I don't know, Elvis Presley walked out on the stage or something. Had just the response. Like they were just having a blast. And I just remember as soon as hearing that roar back after I said that, it still to this day sends chills like from top of my head to the bottom of my feet like it was just I was almost like shell shocked it was like boom and I remember just turning around to Steve while he's back there on the drums and he counted off the one two three four and he went boom right into the song and man it was just it all went so fast and I should I still remember like playing that first had my capo on the second fret playing the E chord and like turn around looking down to Steve and then like uh, putting my head down looking down at my feet and I'm like, I'm wearing freaking brown moccasins playing on the stage in front of the U.S. Embassy in Bogota, Colombia. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so we did the show, and it was such a freaking blast. And uh, remember, uh, another thing I remember, uh, Matt Kleeman, who also jumped on the show with us, uh, since he was such a fantastic dude i mean um i can't say enough about the guy the talent that he has not only as a guitar player he was only the lead guitar player in his uh band that he was in but the dude could sing i remember hearing him sing and i'm like dude we're gonna you're gonna sing some songs at this show and he's like really and uh, so i'm like what are some good like popular covers you know and so uh, one of them was any way you want it by journey and he rocked the heck out of that song up there on stage i mean he was he's a, he's a rock star man i remember talking to him just as a side note uh whenever we were sitting in our hooch in uh tegucigalpa honduras on the soto cano airbase i was sitting there talking to him in the living room just kind of i was still getting to know him because i only met him a few times and then we talked about music over the internet over uh, the email over the internet man i saw like i'm 100 years old yeah on the internet i'll tell you what um okay but anyways i was center talking to matt and uh i at this point i'd already heard him sing and i'm like how come like you don't like even try something solo or start your own band man i'm like you got some super talent he's like i've definitely uh, thought about it and uh, i remember i think it was on his left forearm it may have been his right but i'm pretty sure it was his left he had a huge forearm tattoo of an older style microphone, like the one that Elvis is famous for using. Um, he had that with like some flames around it, and I saw that was the coolest tattoo. And I just remember him looking at me, and he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I, I always wanted to be a singer, you know, because that's just my, one of my passions. And he's like, that's why I got this tattoo with this microphone. He's like singing. He's like, he just pointed out the tattoo, and he's like, this is my bread and butter. And I just remember saying that. that was the first time I ever heard that quote. And uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. So anyways, we're back on stage there in Bogota, Colombia, and uh, Matt rocked out on that song. And uh, so we finished up our set. Uh, then we walk off stage, visit with Fannie Lou for a minute backstage, and boom, she's up on stage and rocking it. Everybody there is a huge fan of hers. Uh, we're out in the crowd taking, like, so we go around to the crowd to take, to just to take it all in and watch Fannie Lou's performance and it was a, just taking pictures with everybody and visiting with the local folks there. It was a complete blast. Um, and then I remember we were supposed to fly out the next morning on July 4th. And so we flew out 
um, that morning got delayed an hour due to weather in Bogota before we left. So we flew an hour late. So whenever, by the time we got up to Miami, Florida, because our goal that night, me and Steve was like, you know, we're getting back from this trip. It's going to be 4th of July, which is a big deal in our hometown. We're going to go out with all of our friends afterwards whenever we get back. And uh, so we're an hour late getting to Miami. We miss our flight. The next flight's for like not another like seven hours. So we're just stuck. And the only thing open is a Burger King in the uh, airport. So we're like, I remember me and Matt laying down on the floor and he, he was the only one smart enough to bring headphones and uh, his laptop. So like me and him are sitting there sharing headphones, <laughs> watching, I forget what movie, but we're sitting like watching uh, movies for hours share it like he, it was uh, just the two earbuds uh, he had one I had the other we're just sitting there watching movies on a very uncomfortable uh, Miami airport uh, floor then uh, we uh, all flew back to St. Louis that next day on the 5th and uh, we got home and uh, then just to give you some context of what was to happen um, that was my last show for almost a year and a half, two years. And I didn't touch a guitar since, like I had stated earlier. I kind of gained some weight, uh, self-doubt, burning, burnout from traveling all the time and being by myself. You know, that can take a toll on you if you're not aware of how you're feeling and your thoughts and things at times, which I've since, wouldn't say I'm a master because it's a practice, but I've since changed that whole game. But uh, I basically was like, you know, you would think after coming off of a high like that, that that would just motivate you to do more. And I wanted to do more, but I just I was unmotivated due to my lack of action because action is what motivates you. So um, I didn't really talk to anybody about it at the time because like it just it was weighing on me like I knew I was gaining weight didn't know what to do about it I mean all the answers are out there to how to handle these things I just wasn't I wasn't willing to put in the work it was the truth but all these different components of just you know uh, this is my dream you know how do I make it go further I want to but then again I'm not feeling motivated I'm feeling fat I'm feeling uninspired so I decided to get a a regular job and I started working at the local nursing home in my hometown and that kind of helped uh, with the way I was feeling about myself because the residents there were so fantastic I worked in activities and um, that would later play in a role in my other professional career in the healthcare field that uh, really helped me out a lot but at the time I still had a lot of self-doubt I had no interest in playing music I felt defeated like which feeling defeated is just a, it was, it's just a cop out is all it was for me. Um, looking back on it and uh, how I was able to get out of it about the time, like I just felt like no direction and just basically depressed. And uh, it was crazy to look back on it. I'm like, man, why the hell did I pull myself out of that? Um, so, yeah, I got a real job and quit playing music and left my uh, guitar in the uh, closet for a good while, uh, over a year and a half, almost a year. I can't remember. I had to look it up, but it was over a year for sure, maybe a year and a half to two years in that range, year and a half, two years. And um, 
and then just to add to that i was uh looking forward uh, we had some shows set up with uh, matt Kleeman's band that played that came in and rescued the day for that tour the uso tour um he's i'm, I'm not going to get into the details or anything but just uh to put it into context uh matt is no longer with us today um in December he had passed away and that was a real big shock to me I I remember for years after that I mean I I got to know Matt really well in such a short time and what a great energetic talented dude he was um he's still alive in my memory I never got to meet a lot of his fam I think I talked to his sister once on uh MySpace after he had passed um, just to kind of share some of my memories of him and you know let him know I was thinking of him but yeah that was kind of tough seeing the guy you know and that's another thing that a guy with so much talent and gone so soon so young uh, it's a shame a real big shame um, <clears throat> but Uh, so after that happened, um, which I, I let, I just, that, that was just a, a crazy deal. And just, I just hate to see somebody with so much talent, you know, not be able to still pursue his dream, you know? So then here I am feeling bad or whatever, depressed, you know, and, and, and it, you know, I, it, it's just, it, it's such two different paradigms. At the time, you know, back here at the end of 2009, early 2010, it's like, I wish I would have, you know, pulled myself together and got my shit together, basically, and uh, kept pursuing my dream, you know, for Matt, because he, he was such a believer in everything in life, and such a great energy to be around. I don't know if that dude ever had a bad day. Every time I ever encountered him, he was fantastic. So, uh, I'm not sure, like, I, I doubt any of his family even listens to this or even probably remembers who I am, but if you guys are, like, Matt still has a heavy influence on me and he still crosses my mind to this day here in 2018. Every once in a while, I'll click back through my emails and I, I, I have some saved of his that he had sent and joking around in there and stuff like that, so it's kind of cool. And uh, he's such a pro, too. So, um, so fast forward on to that. Um, whenever I started the job at the nursing home, it was uh, in October of 2009, a couple months after the tour. And um, so I was feeling just ba- like I said, I told, I basically explained how I felt, and I didn't know how to, what to do about it. But working at the nursing home and being around the residents really did give me the boost while I was there. I said I had no interest in music and what kind of brought me back to music was at the time I mean I've always grew up listening to country music I I, I grew up always listening to country music easy for me to say (laughs) and um, by the time I I never played it and I remember hearing a song on the radio on my way home from work called Big Green Tractor by Jason Aldean just came out and something about that song just stuck to me. And I remember I was on a Saturday. I was off. It was around 11.30 a.m. And I, I, 
I'm gonna grab my guitar and figure out how to play this song. So I, I did, and that led to uh, doing some more stuff uh, and starting this band uh, called Midwest Avenue, which at this point in 2018 we hadn't been together for almost five years now. I hadn't played a show, but November 16th we're gonna play our first show. So uh, as I kind of close it up here on the uh, SJP days and City Like Drive and Armed Forces Entertainment Tour, I'm going to, oh, real quick here, (laughs) while we're talking about me me gaining weight and everything, um, I knew I was gaining weight, but nobody ever told me to my face that I was, which I wish they would have earlier so I could have done something about it. Um, people told me, well, you're filling out. Now, that's a nice way. I figured out over time, you know, that's a nice way of saying, hey, buddy, <laughs> you might want to slow it down on whatever it is you're doing. Um, but I remember I was out with some friends and I went to this bar in my hometown area in Root House. And I saw this guy I hadn't seen since my senior year in high school. And I had since, I, I bet, gained 20 pounds or more. Um, I hadn't seen this guy since uh, my senior year. We graduated together. And since so it had been about four years since I had seen him. And uh, four or five. It would have been about five years at this time. And um, I ain't going to say his name, but he, he, he changed the game for me. Um, I went in there and I saw him. I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? He goes, oh, I'm doing good. He's like, what happened to the old Scott? Did you eat him? <laughs> I laughed because it was funny, but man, I mean, talk about shaking me to my core, but that's what I needed was that honesty. And that's what helped change the game for me in my life. Because it just, within the next day, it hit me. I'm like, I know who I am. I know what I need to take out of my life that's negative. I know where I need to go. It's going to be tough to get there, but if I stay true to who I am and what I want... It's all going to be fine. And by golly, folks, it's been wonderful. So uh, we're going to close this up. Like I said, that's a wrap on the SJP days, City Like Drive, the Armed Forces Entertainment Tour. We may revisit this with some of the guests I'm going to have on the future. Um, But as far as me telling uh, my side of this story, that's going to be a bow on it. And uh, coming up next, like I said, it's going to be we're going to be talking about Midwest Avenue, the band uh, where it got it was, a whole, it was the same band name as from years ago with my dad, my uncle, and my cousin, but a whole new batch of people. So it was a, it's been it was a fantastic run, and uh, we're gonna be talking about it, and uh, gonna be uh, talking about our show coming up on November sixteenth, our reunion show, almost five years. Heck yeah, this might be the longest podcast I ever done. So if you're still hanging in there, I appreciate you and know that. Thank you. Mm-hmm.